everybody. Welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. I'm your host, Patrick Mayhorn. I'm joined by co-host Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, we have a full slate of football to talk about. We've got a full recap. It's the first one of the year. What's up, man? Dude, I'm happy we have football back. We, we I mean, we talked about being back last week, but truly this weekend was exciting. I mean, you have that all, all that kind of juice you get around a football weekend yeah. where you look for the certain games to highlight, but you have always the surprise ones that everyone's up watching. You know, Fresno State, Purdue, for example, or Toledo, Illinois, Texas Tech, Wyoming, those games being bangers came out of nowhere. It's just, I mean, obviously Colorado was probably the highlight uh, of the ones maybe people would expect to be competitive, but just so exciting to have football all the way back and to get to enjoy a full weekend like that packed with games uh, and just knowing we have you know, 13 more weeks of it coming. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. I, I, I think that there were moments on this uh, this this Saturday, and we'll, we'll jump right in here after probably we should do some ad reads, but there were moments, especially the evening slate, where things kind of lulled a little bit, where there just wasn't a ton. The games that we needed to be good weren't really good, but then you get, like you mentioned, Wyoming-Texas Tech kind of coming in and picking it back up. You get a really good late-night game. You get, I think, in general... It was a pretty good weekend of college football. It was not the best. It was not the best week one that we have seen, I don't think. But there were a lot of results that I thought were good for us specifically, you and I, and pushing our our various agendas. Um, And that's really, we've kind of, uh, you know, lost our ability to root for anything other than that. You still root for Ohio State, but you also hate doing that. Uh, from as far as I it can ruins tell, my life, yeah. yeah, ruins your life. Um, and so mostly it's just a, it's just a, a, you know, an avenue for us to push our various beliefs. And I think a lot of our beliefs were uh, were backed up this weekend, and that's always good news. That's sort of the that's the number one thing that we care about more than yeah. anything else. They're, they're even, actually yeah. they're call, they're they're calling us Jaquindon's witnesses after the uh, the Utah game. Yeah, they are. Um, we're going door to door. We're talking about Jaquindon Jackson. <laughs> I think that a lot of people would like that. I think that that would be received a lot more positively than some of the other things that people do door to door. Um, that is our new podcast marketing method is just we're, we're, we're canvassing. We're canvassing for the podcast. We're handing out flyers. Check out the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's all about- we're hiring a team of interns and telling them they have to actually pay us up front to buy episodes of the podcast mm-hmm. and then resell them at, at, at a pretty good rate. Yeah. Um, you know, going door to door sales. So I think it's going to work pretty well for us and we're excited to tap into that market. Yeah, we're getting a Politico article written about our formidable door knocking team that shuts down three months later. That would be, I think, really <laughs> cool for us. Um, all right, before we jump into this, uh, we've got a full slate of games and so we're going to try and get through these as quick as we can, not take two hours to talk about all this. Uh, let's do some ads real quick. I'll do the Meet at Midfield one. Usually I don't do this one, but I'm going to do it. Meet at Midfield is our website that we post to. We have premium stories. We have premium podcasts, including... A, uh, a weekly show of this podcast that we're going to record right after this. Um, I think we're probably going to just expand on sort of the teams that impressed us the most and also the teams that were the most disappointing. Uh, we have a couple that, that really stood out to us. So if you want more in-depth discussion of you know, Florida State or Stanford or Colorado or teams like that or Baylor, which on the other side of things, um, make sure you subscribe to Meet at Midfield. I don't believe that there's still a code, but you can subscribe to midfield.com. You can get access to the message board. You can get access to the premium posts. Ryan just put up. Did you post the the hangover yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was up at like 8 o'clock this morning. I was writing it from the plane. We are uh, we're on some real shit, dude. I was grinding that out after a few beers last night and then kind of finished up this morning at like 6 a.m. at an airport. Let's go. Uh, while eating a, a 
spicy chick-fil-a chicken biscuit yep i've got kind of top of mind oh yeah oh yeah that's good stuff yeah i've got uh scheme standouts will be out tomorrow as we record this on monday um watch list of course on thursday you have various columns throughout the week we have all sorts of good stuff the message board was insane all weekend as it always is um insane in a good way insane in a uh in a way that you're not going to get at other message boards um it never like even as we have I mean, I don't even know how many posts it was. It was a, it, it's an obscene amount of posts over the the four or five day stretch of football. Um, but it's never like some crazy guy threatening to kill you, right? It's never, it's never like yeah. Or if it is, it's it's you. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 yeah. It's <laughs> but you know that they're not actually going to do it because they're just like some twenty seven year old who's posting ironically. Um, you don't ever have like you know seventy five year old guy who stumbles in there just to be racist. There's none of that. It's it's good. It's a it's a very good website. It's a good message board. Go to meetatmidfield.com to subscribe. Um, Ryan, do you want to tell the people about Home Field Apparel real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was actually wearing some home field apparel. Uh, I went to the Buckeye Game Watch at Mid City Yacht Club in New Orleans, Louisiana, over the weekend, uh, <laughs> and I met a woman also from Columbus who was also wearing home field apparel, uh, and we were trying to bar. Yeah, so the home field apparel was recognized. Buckeye, it's the, it's the official Buckeye Game Watch, in New Orleans, I guess. Uh, you know, I was talking about third string safeties, you know, second string running backs with the guy who who runs it. We were getting deep in there, uh, talking about home field apparel too, trying to sell a little home field to the local crowd. It was a good time. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, home field gets you recognized. Uh, it gets a good word with people, kind of puts your foot in the door. People know home field apparel, they love it. Uh, and you can be part of the Cool Kids Club if you do it too. Yeah. And you can use the code meet at midfield to get uh, 15% off your first purchase of home field apparel, uh, which I highly recommend you doing. You sure can. All right, Ryan, you want to talk about this? You want to start with Thursday, Utah, 24, Florida, Please. Florida, 11. Um, boy, howdy, Florida. <laughs> this was, this was a mess. This was a mess from Florida. This was not Utah's most disciplined game in the world, but uh, playing without cam rising, playing without quite a few starters on this roster. This was a depleted Utah too deep. Um, I thought that they pretty much just kept things cool. They just sort of tried to stay out of the way and let Florida uh, hang itself, essentially, and Florida did. Uh, a lot of mistakes, a lot of very, very bad football from Florida. This was really ugly from from the first game of, uh, of Billy Napier's second year there. Yeah, uh, Florida was stopped on downs three different times in Utah territory and also missed the field goal. Uh, the Utah defensive line got five sacks on Graham Mertz yeah. despite missing – uh, Junior Tafuna, Connor O'Toole, Simon Pepe, uh, Van Fellinger, and Kareen Reed from the linebacking core missed most of that game. Cole Bishop missed a good part of that. Cole Bishop rather missed a good part of that game. Obviously, you mentioned Cam Rising and Brian Keithy were out on the offensive side. Like it was a skeleton crew for Utah, and they still really handled this, this kind of Florida offense. Uh, the rushing attack for Florida was totally shut down. Uh, you know, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, I think, are two of the better running backs in the country combined for 10 carries for 31 yards. Um, you know, Florida total had net of 13 yards in the day. Just just nothing going. Um, yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I don't think Utah played particularly well. Of course, that offense had some real – it is kind of what we thought it is, right, where Cam Rising makes so much of that offense go. I thought Bryson Barnes and, and Nate Johnson were fine yeah. uh, when they came in, but certainly didn't do anything special. Obviously, Nate, Junk, Nate Johnson was functionally a running back playing quarterback. That might as well have been a wildcat with him back there. Yeah. Um, but uh, he looked fine. You know, Bryson Barnes was accurate enough. No one really 
turned the ball over, uh, which was nice for Utah. They had uh, Nate Johnson fumble. They got it back. I mean, you know, they could have played a lot better. I think they should have done better against Florida's defensive front. But given the injuries to Keithy and Rising, who are the cores of their offense, uh, pretty happy with the performance of Utah. Yeah, I thought I thought Barnes, especially in the in the early stages of the game, handled himself pretty well. Kind of spiraled on him a little bit down the stretch when they were going with both quarterbacks. But obviously, that first throw of the game was uh, the best play of the game by a pretty wide margin. Um, really, just sort of tucks it in there. That that deep pass did not didn't look good until Money Parks runs under it. But sometimes that's how it goes. I, I thought he handled himself fairly well, and and Utah really. Uh, just came in with a better plan, honestly. I think Utah was just more prepared for this game than Florida was. Um, the the other th- that was the other thing that really stood out to me was the Utah defensive line, even without some guys who it really I think needs to be as good as it could be. Um, dominant, really, really dominant. Florida could not run the ball even a little bit. Florida could not really keep Graham Mertz in the pocket all that long. He was sacked. What was it? You said five times. Um, five times, yeah. Mertz was I I mean, seven total tackles for a loss, too. Maybe yeah, more. yeah. I, I have it as eight, but uh, it was a lot. <laughs> Regardless, it was a lot. Florida just did not really get a whole lot of push. Graham Mertz was he was himself. I don't think there was anything surprising about what Graham Mertz did here. Um, the only thing that really stood out to me for Florida was that Ricky Pearsall is good, which we, I think, knew, but I don't know that he's going to be good enough to save a pretty bad offense. This does not, this is not good for Florida. This is not a good start. This does not bode well against a very injured Utah team. I think if you're Utah, you're leaving this feeling pretty, pretty good about yourself. Yeah. And I feel a long-term upside of Utah's defensive line, given how many guys were out, but just their defensive front in general has to be pretty high at this point, right? Yeah. These guys got to feel good. Yep. Next up, Minnesota 13, Nebraska 10. Um, really ugly football game. I'm going to be honest. I did not watch most of this live. I went back and watched the extended highlights. I watched the end of it live. Uh, this was this was a, a slugfest. I don't think that it was... Some of it maybe was good defense. <laughs> I think that there was encouraging things on both sides of the ball defensively. Offense is here, not good. Jeff Sims, not good. Uh, Minnesota's offense, really, really rough against a Nebraska defense that was not good last year. Could be improved, but I can't imagine it should be improved that much. And then uh, at the end of the game, Nebraska blows it, just as as it has done for years now. Uh, pretty much the same pretty much the same story here allows a late touchdown beautiful catch uh by was it daniel i think it was daniel jackson yeah daniel jackson uh beautiful catch in the back of the end zone nebraska drives like 20 yards jeff sims throws a really bad interception minnesota comes down and hits a field goal to win it um ugly result here for nebraska which i think probably should have won this game and just can't seem to figure out how to how to close out this sort of thing yeah not a lot of sense in the nebraska game plan i thought it was pretty foolish uh like you said they didn't really pounce opportunities jeff sims threw three picks uh, Tyler Newbin, who's Minnesota's all Big Ten safety, got two of them. I thought Trayvon Jones played fantastic for Minnesota, uh, finished with nine total tackles, interception, another pass defended. Uh, he he was a real good surprise for them, a guy they kind of need to step up and was pretty happy with him. Um, yeah, I mean, the Utah offense, sorry, the Utah, the Nebraska offense clearly has some problems, but I, I do think Minnesota's defense impressed me a good bit and just they had some more guys out there than I thought they would. Of course, we're going to see them play against non-Jeff Sims quarterbacks in the futures, but this kind of reaffirmed our thought, too, on just how silly bringing Jeff Sims in was and something I don't think that made much sense at all as a program, and I don't really get it. But, yeah, Nebraska looked bad. I, I think my thoughts on them are kind of reaffirmed. Uh, Minnesota, not awesome, but probably competent. 
Yeah, I think that that's fair, and and I uh, I don't think we're going to talk about the full FAU game for for good reason because they played an FCS team. But I believe Casey Thompson threw for five touchdowns, so something to keep in mind if you hmm. are uh, if you're looking at Nebraska here moving forward. Maybe it would have been nice to have a guy who could do that, but. Who knows? Uh, maybe there is more to that story than we're aware of. But um, next up here, Friday, Louisville 39, Georgia Tech 34. Another ugly football game. This was this was uh, there were a lot of week one games here. There were a lot of teams still trying to figure out exactly what they are. Uh, Georgia Tech breaks out to a pretty big lead early on in the game, and then Louisville spends basically the rest of the game chipping away at it, eventually takes a uh, a two-score lead late. Georgia Tech makes it respectable at the end. Um, I thought Louisville was pretty clearly better here, made some, some really bad mistakes early on that put it in a hole, but was good enough to make up for it. Uh, Jamari Thrash is, <laughs> he's, he's benefiting from the Jeff Brom offense. I would say he looked really, really good. Yep. I was very impressed with him. He's fun to watch. I think he's going to have a really big year for them. Um, and, and then really the only other thing for me, Georgia tech, I think is more, they looked more athletic than they have been. I think that they are making progress that they were in this game for so long. They're just raw. They're really, really raw and they make a lot of mistakes and there's just, I, I think they could be. I think they could be decent at some point. I think Georgia Tech has ACC level, low level ACC players on its roster, which has not always been the case for them. It's just that they, yeah, they're rough. They're rough right now. Included in that, I thought Haynes King was better than I expected. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I didn't expect much from him, but uh, he looked like a competent Power Five starter. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, if you can get that from him, I think you're pretty happy <laughs> as as Georgia Tech. If you can get a, a competent Power Five starter out of Haynes King, that is, like you said, that's more than we thought. We weren't super high on him, but I'll take that. If I'm if I'm Georgia Tech, I thought they had a couple skill players who looked pretty nice. There was one running back. Um, what is his name? I had it written down. I don't know where I put it. It's uh, something Haynes. Tech? Yeah, for Tech. Uh, uh, Jamal Haynes. Jamal Haynes. I liked what I saw from him. He is quick. He's not very big. He is quick. Uh, he's fun to watch. I think that they were they were using him pretty well. I'd like to see them run the ball a little bit more than they did in this one, but I, I understand the circumstances. I think that both of these teams looked like they will be pretty competent this season. I think Louisville more so than Georgia Tech, but uh, it, you, you can see it here with both of these teams. It wasn't a disaster on either side. Yep. Yep. Um... Well, all right, next game, Patrick, we have Stanford winning at Hawaii 37-24. I think Hawaii's obviously going to have a pretty rough season this year, starting off 0-2 here. But uh, it does seem like Stanford's maybe a little further ahead than we thought they were after week one. Uh, Sorry, after week zero, rather. They didn't play week zero, but just kind of... uh, Coming into the season. I don't know. I kind of of expected them to be worse than they they would be. Um, They also played Ashton Daniels quite a bit. He looked pretty good at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, not a bad, not a bad start at all for Stanford. Yeah, I, I think for Hawaii, you can see the, you can see that they're getting closer. You can see improvement. They're keeping themselves in the game. They're good enough to do that. It is just it's mistakes they're making. They're making errors that they can't afford to make. They're taking penalties in bad spots. They look like a young team that's learning a system. Um, Stanford, I was impressed with, and and I'm going to talk about on the premium show. Uh, I, I think that they are very obviously limited in what they can do. That offensive line is not very good in pass protection. The defense is keeping things very simple, which might just be the Hawaii game. I think you, you, the correct approach to playing this kind of offense is rushing four and dropping seven into a zone and making them beat you, which is what they did. Um, but offensively, I think that 
Troy Taylor is already, you're, you're seeing the idea here, which is earlier than we thought from Stanford. Um, I was really impressed with Ashton Daniels. I think he plays really calmly in the pocket. He does not have a great arm, does not have great zip, but he handled himself really well. I think he was poised. And his placement, I posted a, a video to Twitter of, uh, of one of the throws he made. His placement was fantastic all game. It takes a long time for the ball to get there, but he puts it in the right spot really consistently. And they have... I think an offense built around him that can work with that. They did a lot of motion. They did a lot of involving the tight end, a lot of gap blocking. Uh, they ran him quite a bit as well. They look basically like power Kansas would be the way that I would describe their offense. It was big, heavy, two tight end Kansas. They This is a team that, you know, one of the best things they have here is the tight ends, is that, that size. And I think that they used it really, really well here. I'm interested to see what they can do against a... Uh, you know, a more competent defense moving forward, but I was impressed with them. I will also just mention as a guy to go look at if you if you didn't watch this game, um, Ryan Butler, number 15, the halfback for Stanford, he's listed at 225 pounds. He's at least 250. He looks like if you took Zeke Elliott and just shrunk him. He's he's just like, let's go. He's like five foot 10, just, or like, like, I don't even know how to best describe it. It's like you just took Zeke Elliott and squished him down, but kept all of the heft. This guy's huge. He's not fast. He's, I don't know if he's even particularly good. He's just dense, just a dense running back. Really fun to watch him, uh, watch him thunder around out there. So yeah, I, I love a running back. looks like a dying star. Yeah. It's always kind of the ideal body type. Yeah. yeah it's really good guy. Who's just, who, who has to run straight upright because he can't bend forward. His, his just upper <laughs> body doesn't do that. It's not how he works, not how he's structured. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 I was impressed with Stanford. I thought they were fun to watch. I like that offense. I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on them. Um, all right. Noon, Saturday noon, big game here. The big noon Saturday game uh, was, I don't actually know if this was on Fox, but Colorado 45. It was. Yeah, it yeah. was. This was the big noon Saturday game. I didn't even mean to promote that. Uh, fuck those guys. Colorado 45, TCU 42. Holy shit, man. This, I mean, I don't think TCU, I, I said as much on Twitter, I don't think TCU is very good. I think TCU has probably taken a, a pretty clear step back from being the runners-up last year. But Colorado was maybe the most desolate program in America nine months ago and uh, rebuilt its entire roster and just beat a team that was in the national championship game in you know January. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy, crazy impressive. Patrick, I won't go full Dion on you, but I know you and I argued a little bit in the pre in the preseason about Shadur Sanders. Do mm. you believe now? Are you a believer? Yeah, I mean he he looked awesome. I, I think that our honestly, looking back on it, we 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 should not have softened on Dion the way that we did, because when he came in, we were really excited about it. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember recording a yeah. podcast about like we, you know, we thought that it was going to work, and then we spent the offseason being told that it wasn't, and I think it, it infected us. Um, but, like... I still think I still have some questions about their offensive line long-term. Yeah. They look pretty good today, and I think they have a good O-line coach. But, like, the, the look, team... my, my, my expectation for Colorado is they are going to be competitive in a lot of football games, and their skill talent in a wide-open game like this, a TCU team that wants to play on the outside, they can play with anybody who does that. Yeah. Um. I still wonder if they can hang in the trenches for a uh, for a full sixty minute game with a team that has like depth and talent on on either side of the trenches. Yeah, because of that. But I am very, very, very impressed with this game. I'm not trying to find negatives. 
Uh, I think they looked awesome. Travis Hunter is as advertised. Oh, yeah. Trader Sanders was amazing. Dylan Edwards had that huge clutch play. They had four receivers go over 100 yards. Uh, Edwards, Hunter, and the the uh, the two USF kids, uh, Weaver and Horn, that transferred in. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, they had some guys. And also, Cormani McLean didn't play at all, really, right? So uh, they're doing this without Cormani McLean. Yeah. Um, credit to credit to TCU, though. Amadi Bailey was also fantastic. They're running back. Mm-hmm. Really impressed by him. I think he averaged over uh, almost 12 yards a carry. Damn. Um, he That jump cut he had on his big run in the second half was super impressive. Just a kid who really looks good out there in space. Um, I think he might be a star for them at running back. They, uh, and they, TC, they need it, yeah, they, I will say. They need, they need him to be a star. <laughs> yeah, Trey Sanders was banged up and also kind of just a guy out there. Um, but, I mean, Bailey was – a bigger factor for them in 2021 than he was last season. I think he was banged up last year, only had 250 yards, uh, but he has been a very efficient runner his whole career. And I mean, that was a, that, that guy belonged in that field with anybody else out there. Yeah. He can play high major football, um, but TCU has to find some answers to this roster. Yeah. I think the, the passing attack for TCU specifically was, I mean, it was productive enough against a Colorado secondary that was kind of, like you said, not operating at full capacity. Um, did not see it with Chandler Morris here. Really did not, did not see it. Yeah. Don't really see it with these wide receivers, which we talked about coming into the season. There's just, I don't know. I think it's a Monty Bailey and a lot of guys right now. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure how much that's going to do for them, even in a bad Big 12. The Big 12 is not in great shape this season. It's just, yeah. I don't know that they have the playmakers they need on offense right and, now. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like TCU was behind schedule, right? Colorado didn't have a single sack, a single TFL. They generated no pressure all game. Uh, I think they got, what was it? they forced two, obviously the two interceptions were, were big time Yeah. Uh, from Travis Hunter and Trevor Woods. But like, that was it. There weren't really any negative plays that Colorado was creating on defense, which, by the way, is still a concern longer term. Uh, it was just entirely that Colorado could score pretty much at will on TCU. Yeah. Uh, and TCU forward a couple times, and that was kind of the difference of the game. Yeah. Um, I, I, just I, coming up short. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of, like, the, this, you're going to hear Sean Lewis's name a lot this week. We are not the first to talk <laughs> about the praises of Sean Lewis, but uh, hot damn, that guy can call, that guy can call a game. <laughs> Man yeah. alive, can that guy call a game? They sixty-five uh, percent success rate when they drop back to pass. That is, that's nuts. That is nuts. Even against a TCU defense that we don't like, that is nuts. A um, lot of explosive plays. They had nine, then listed at nine explosive plays on GameOnePaper.com. Um, it felt like there were even more than that. Just uh, really, really impressed with Colorado. We'll talk about them in in more detail, like I said on the premium show, but. Uh, damn, that's that's a, that's one hell of a start for 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 Dion. One hell of a, a proof of concept to to come out of the gates like that. Next up, Tennessee forty nine, Virginia thirteen. What did you see here? Because I did not pay a ton of attention to uh, to this one. Yeah, I mean, I think I was when I was kind of looking to see Tennessee, and my expectation going into this year was that they were going to be improved on both sides of the trenches, and they were. Uh, they really mashed Virginia and just lived in that backfield all day. Uh, had eleven tackles for a loss against Virginia. Uh, four sacks. It felt like more than that too. It felt like Tony Musket was under pressure pretty much every time he dropped back. Um, their running attack was fantastic. Jalen Wright looked really, really good. Average almost 10 yards a carry. And with that for the Virginia defense, the Virginia offense is obviously going to be pretty horrific, but the Virginia defense is competent, I think. And I think the way Tennessee just ran the boat on their throats for uh, 499 yards in the day was pretty impressive. Uh, Joe Milton absolutely bodied a kid in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Milton still, as you correctly pointed out, has some a lot of room to improve as a processor. 
uh, and didn't really throw the ball very well. He had a couple highlight throws everyone posted on Twitter. Uh, it's going to be Anthony Richardson all season. He's like a better version of him where he's a little more accurate, a little more efficient, isn't the ball over quite as much. But we'll make those crazy highlight throws and then just have, you know, three check downs in a row the next series uh, and kind of drive you crazy. But the kid, I mean, the kid is an athlete out there. And Tennessee's going to be a fun team to watch. I think that D-line's going to beat up some teams that don't expect it from them. Yeah. Next up, Fresno State 39, Purdue 35. Uh, first major G5 over P5 upset of the weekend, I think. Um, huge, huge, huge first first game here for Fresno State with a rebuilt offense. Um, Mikey Keene, I thought, was tremendous for them at, at quarterback. I think he did exactly what they needed him to do. Um, that receiving core looked not great, but Eric Brooks was awesome. It was really good to see Jalen Gill get into the end zone. I know that you, you said something about that. Um, he, yeah. I thought he played really well. I think that you can you can see it here. Obviously, with Fresno State, they beat a Big Ten team. Uh, I thought they played really well doing it. Fifty-two percent success rate overall. They I think they worked around a lot of the issues that they needed to work around on offense and showed me basically what I needed to see from them. A lot of explosive plays, handled themselves really well against a bigger offensive and defensive line from Purdue. And then on the on the Purdue side of things. Wolf. <laughs> this, this was not this was not a great start for for Ryan Walters. I think that it was just they they just didn't really look all that good. Honestly, I don't know that there's more to it. I don't yeah. know that I have a different like a more complicated take. They just didn't look very good. They just didn't look like a very good football team. No, they did not. And I think really like where this came down to it is uh, Purdue had a a fourth and three on the Fresno state uh 26 yard line uh with what was it about about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter no sorry i'm, I'm reading that wrong uh it was early in the third quarter they had they had a fourth and three at the fresno 26 did not go for attempted a 43 yard field goal missed it uh the following drives and at that point in time fresno state was down 28 17 uh they respond by scoring a touchdown forcing a purdue punt score another touchdown uh getting a stop at the goal line uh, and then, you know, I think basically just kind of carried the game out from there. Uh, Purdue got a late touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter to take the lead back 35-32. Uh, but then Fresno State answered with, I think, less than a minute left. Got another touchdown, a 22-yard pass, Mickey Keene. And Purdue could not score in their final drive. Just a really, really impressive result, I think, from Fresno State to have the Stones kind of step up there. Um, those Tedford teams do not quit very often. And I think Ryan Walters mismanages game a little bit, which is, you know, it's a first-year head coach. You'll have that. Yeah, uh, Got to see a little more from the Purdue offense. Um, but, yeah, really impressive game for Fresno State, especially that passing attack with Keene, as you pointed out. Uh, they had, I think it was just shy of 500 yards of the day. Uh, really good offense to them. 487 yards, outgained Purdue by over 120 yards. Uh, I mean, just just a better team. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think even... You know, you you, you mentioned uh, this is I, I want to mention this as well is that Fresno State did this while also kind of <laughs> suffering a lot of the things that usually take G five teams out of these upset bids. Uh, specifically, they gave up an eighty four yard touchdown pass in the first quarter <laughs> to to Purdue, and then also they allowed a uh, a kickoff return for a touchdown. That's not you. It's really hard to make up for that kind of massive play in this game. The Fresno State had a pretty significant average starting field position disadvantage, almost 10 whole yards. Um, Fresno State also, you know, just giving up free 
three plays, giving up three touchdowns, giving up a kickoff return for a touchdown. That's seven points you can't get back. Um, and really then had to, I mean, dominate the the down by down, the actual play by play of this game. And they did. You, if you're going to make up for that as a G5 team, you have to be that much better. And they were. I think they were significantly better in the final score, honestly is not super reflective of the quality here. I think Fresno State was several scores better than Purdue. Um, really, really impressed with them. I thought that this was an excellent an excellent first showing from them, better than I could have really anticipated or even hoped for. Yeah. Speaking of excellent first showings, Whew. how about Oklahoma dropping, dropping 73 in Arkansas State as Butch Jones cried on the sideline? <laughs> did, um, did he actually cry on the sideline? Did you see that? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. He was oh, actually crying man. on the sideline. Oh. He dropped to one knee and was crying. There were pretty good tweets about it, and someone said, I forgot, I wish I could credit the account, but someone said, if I see the other coach crying, we're up 73 nothing. I got to get that 80 ball because I want to see some snot bubbles coming out too. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a route. I mean, Oklahoma, they were just perfect. I mean, they were 30 of 33 from passing as a team. Uh, both Dylan Gabriel and Jack Arnold's second team looked good. Uh, the rushing attack was fine. I mean, they, they got enough done, but – uh, I mean, went for over 640 yards while Arkansas State couldn't run the football. That was pretty much the whole game. Yeah, he sure was crying on the sidelines. I'm looking at a video right now. Um, <laughs> Any crying analysis from you? <laughs> it's not what you want. Generally speaking, it's not what you want to see your coach crying on the sidelines in week one. Dude, I, I, <laughs> can you imagine Can you imagine spending all offseason, all spring oh camp, all those workouts all the summer workouts, all the fall camp, all of like, you know, practice week, getting ready for all of this and losing 73 nothing your first week. Oh my God. And your coach cries on the sidelines. <laughs> How do you care for the rest of the season? You got to hit the portal. You got to hit the portal right after the game. I'm hitting the portal. I'm out. I'm not doing this. Yeah, no point. <laughs> you were crying yeah. on the sidelines. I can't listen to you anymore. We're not doing this. You're a grown man. <laughs> Did you... <laughs> What are you doing? Yeah, that that is not good. Um, Arkansas State really needs this. Butch Jones specifically really needs this to be a good season, needs this to be a bowl season, I think, to keep his job. This is not an encouraging start. Oklahoma is obviously not going to be on the schedule every week, but 73 to nothing is uh, more than a bad loss to a Power 5 team, uh, more than a bye game yeah. loss. This is, this is getting dismantled and, and demoralized and almost certainly something that will carry over to future games for Arkansas State. I have no thoughts on the Oklahoma side of things. Just this was not is not what you want to start this campaign, this very critical campaign for Butch Jones and Arkansas State. I think that he is firmly on the uh, – I, I don't remember. I think it maybe was friend of the show, Will Warren, who who is, has coined the term Halloween watch, which is coaches who get fired before Halloween. Um, he's on Halloween That's watch. That's a great line. Yeah, yeah. He, he, Butch love, Jones love Will's is, post, by the way. Yeah, Butch Jones yeah. is on Halloween watch moving <laughs> moving forward. This is not a good start for him. Um, yeah. Brett, You're also on Halloween watch. Buddy Jeff Halfley. Yeah, Jeff Halfley might be on uh, might be on Halloween watch. Northern Illinois twenty seven, Boston College twenty four in overtime. Might have been double overtime. I don't remember. Um, Northern Illinois again here was just was, be- was just better. Northern Illinois was better than Boston College was. I think Northern yeah. Illinois deserved to win this game, and they did. They controlled the football for thirty seven minutes of this game. Um, they could not pass the rock at all. They completed less than half of their passes. Yeah, just overall passing very bad the two teams combined to complete less than half their passes yeah uh very ugly ugly football day uh but northern or boston college has no juice man like this offense was totally unoriginal and 
of ideas last season. Yeah. We talked about our ACC preview, but Jeff Halfley only made internal hires. He promoted his interns to kind of take over the offense by it being terrible last year, uh-huh. brought in no new ideas. And you got what we expected, right? Like if you do shit like that, you get the results you have here, uh, which is that it was just a really bad day for Boston College. I think they averaged less than five yards of play, yeah. which would have ranked somewhere around 110th in the country last season and played out over a full year. And Northern Illinois is like, not an awesome Mac team this year. They're not that good. No, basically what what happened is that they got hammocked, right? You, you get you, they, yeah. they hammocked them, which is just that Northern Illinois doesn't even really need to play all that well. They just run the shit out of the ball and, and wear you down. And then when the game is 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 close late, they uh, they eke it out. And they weren't able to do that. They had a lot of bad luck and injuries last season, and so they they lost a lot of games because of it. But that's how they want to play. They want to take you into the fourth quarter and swamp you. Um, they like and they did. Yeah. It. That was exactly what happened. They were not super efficient here. They didn't move the ball very well, but they they hit really hard. <laughs> They're physical. They play good defense. I think in general they they did a good job here. Boston College's offense certainly helped them. But um, yeah, Northern Illinois just played its game against a against a P five team on the road. Uh, for for them, I think you got to be feeling really good about this win, starting you know a, a pretty crucial season and, and heading into a wide open MAC, especially in that division. Uh, for Boston College, man, geez. Jesus Christ, it's really bad. It's really, really, really bad. We were talking about before the season how easy this schedule is. They they could still fuck it up. They could still very easily fuck it up because they are, I mean, they're worse than a G5 team. They're worse than a pretty good G5 team, a pretty good MAC team. It's, yeah. it's not good, man. Looking at their schedule, I know we're going to maybe do this in the, in the I'll say this for the premium because I have some more thoughts on them. Okay. Uh, I am going to talk about that more because I think it's going to be a a lot worse than even we projected. All right. Afternoon, Ohio State 23, Indiana 3. I watched parts of this one, but I would imagine you have more thoughts on it than I do. So I will just cue this one up for you. What's going on here? Yeah, I mostly have this game filled with a homicidal rage. Um, just uh-huh. watching Ryan Day's play calling, his decision making, his sequencing, all of it. Just like so many very obvious mistakes. Um, doing like, like we've talked about his smartest guy in the room shtick on program building, uh, on like play calling. And it was on display more than ever before. Just like asking, look, you're playing Indiana, right? Like no disrespect to Indiana, but they don't have much of the defensive line. And you're asking your 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 three new starters, including one of them a redshirt freshman center, to make these like ridiculous blocks yeah. going across the formation, like just pin and pull shit that doesn't need to be there. Just like they, running to the boundary in a way they clearly couldn't block for it as their tight end whiffed on multiple blocks. Um, just simple execution errors. The quarterback rotation was maddening. Like he talked all season about getting both these guys first team reps. Said after the game he had previously planned on getting Devin Brown the third and fifth drives, but then didn't want to shake Kyle McCourt's confidence after a three and out by pulling him for the third drive. Yeah. So instead he waited until Kyle McCourt threw an interception, then pulled Kyle, brought in Devin Brown, ran the ball three straight times in the fourth drive, uh, and punted on a three and out. Yeah. And didn't let Brown throw until the backups were in on the final drive of the game. Um just an absolutely asinine series of decisions from day, as you expect. The good news is that the Ohio State defense, again, Indiana is not going to be an awesome team all year. Brendan Sorsby is pretty clearly a very limited player. But holding Indiana to 153 yards of total offense uh, and really kind of just keeping this thing very buttoned down, uh, limited to less than, I think, three yards per play, was still very impressive with the Ohio State defense. I think the defensive line looks much improved. Uh, the linebackers were solid. Uh, some of their young guys at safety, Sunny Styles, to me, was the best player at this football game. Malik Hartford came in as a true freshman. I thought looked fantastic. 
uh, a lot more physical presence with the defense. Just some guys hitting in a way we haven't seen in a few years from them. I, I'm encouraged with the defense, and I'm sure Ryan Day will eventually figure out the offense because it's, it's pretty much always been a top 10 group under him um, in every category. But um, definitely a little just frustrating to see him do his namby-pamby bullshit in the first week of the season against the bad Big Ten opponent. Yeah. Uh, and then do the justification afterwards. Well, it's a Big Ten game on the road. These aren't easy. And just, I mean, nonsense when you look at the opponent they played. Yeah, and it does feel also like I, I had this thought watching a, a game that we're going to talk about a lot. Watching the Florida State game, uh, I had it watching Washington, which we're going to watch, in, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um, for for as good as Ryan Day obviously is at coordinating an offense, they've been you know right up there with the most productive offenses in America for however long he's been there since 2017. Um, it like There were times, I think the 2019 team would be the one that really stood out to me, and there have been moments that this would be true, but it seems like nobody at Ohio State is having any fun at all. It doesn't really seem like anybody is enjoying themselves. Their offense is not like... I don't know, it just, it feels like, it feels really bad. It feels just the the... the, the it feels like labored and kind of miserable. It seems like they're just not letting loose in a, in a specific way. There have been moments, like I said, during his tenure where they have, but you watch Washington, you watch Florida State, you watch these other programs that are led by, you know, the the you know the, the guys who are up there with Day as the, the best offensive minds, the brightest offensive minds in football, and they're letting it fly. They're, they're going nuts. You know, they're making these huge plays. They're physical. They're riding what works consistently. And then you watch Ohio State, and it's like every third down or fourth down call has to be a fucking, you know, doctorate paper. He has to just, he has to try and, he's trying to reinvent the wheel every time it's third and one. It's like, just run the ball with Chip Trainum. What's wrong with you? It's obvious what you yeah. should be doing here. Why are you running outside zone? You can't do it. You can't run this play. Why are you, like... You don't have any fucking wide receivers on the field on fourth and one. You have the two best receivers in the country. What's wrong with you? Why are you so stupid? Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's frustrating well, and the for me. The thing is there, there was a uh, Kyle Jones, Southern Warriors pointed out uh, that Kyle McCord himself, who was in his second ever start and like one of his first drives in it, uh, flipped a play at the line of scrimmage. Uh, they had called another boundary stretch run on third and short. And he flipped it to the field side where they had actually the better numbers. Uh, and got the result they needed uh, and ran a successful run with Chip. And it's just like, yeah, obviously. Like, the right number of advantage just to, like, show you're going to run to the boundary constantly is insane. Like, why are you trying to tendency break in week one? What are you talking about? What are you doing? Yeah, Play the fucking game. Just play the game. Yeah. Run your offense and score points. Yeah, you're at Ohio State. Did you know that? Do you know who you have on this offense? You don't have to do this. It's not like you're trying to make up for a talent disadvantage against Indiana. I just... just run what works why are you doing this what are you trying to prove who are you trying to impress here it's just it, it feels very it's very weird the things there are very weird right now um i'm sure that you and kevin will talk more about that on high street freaks so if people want that you they can uh, they can go check that out but uh anything else yeah. on this one before we move on no please god no uh the next game is washington uh beating boise state at home 56 to 19 uh michael Penix, my god dude oh boy i uh, completed almost Plus 75% of his passes, 450 yards to the air for five touchdowns. Uh, he is... He's so sick. Man, just the... Uh. He's so sick. The ball <laughs> location he throws downfield is crazy. Yeah. Um, I understand, like, for the draft freaks that he's 24 years old, so he's not going to be a first-round pick. Yeah. But, like, just the ball placement he has, 
I don't think there's a quarterback in the country who puts it on the money better than Penix, including Caleb Williams and Drake Mayo, the other guys we talked about. Yeah. The way he just puts the ball in his receiver's hands, 40, 50, 60 yards downfield is disgusting. Yeah. And, and you know what I like about one of the biggest things that I like about NIL that guys can get paid now? Michael Penix is going to get at least a little bit of what he deserves. I don't care what the fucking draft guys say. I don't care that he's 24. I don't care that he's like, it sucks that he's going to go later because of his age. It sucks all that stuff. This guy is fucking awesome. And I would bet that he is raking it in at Washington. And that's great because he is, he's special. He's really, really special. The way he is playing right now is he just picked up right where he left off. Um, he, he really did. Boise State had no answers for that passing for that passing attack. I don't think many defenses are going to have an answer for that passing attack. The the three-headed monster at receiver was was tr- terrific. I think they produced um, more than three yeah, more than 300 yards through the air and four touchdowns. Uh, they are they are ad, they are as advertised on offense. Um, I'm going to talk at more at more length about Boise State's side of this affair in the premium show. Um, Boise State, I think, is uh, basically what I was worried that they were going to be, which is a team that doesn't have the guy who was basically their head coach last year anymore. Dirk Cutter is not walking through that door, at least not right now. Maybe he will <laughs> at a later point. Chris Peterson's yeah, not doing Yeah, Chris yeah. Peterson's not doing anything. Maybe you can bring him in to save your ass this time, Andy Avalos. <laughs> just just needs to keep in keep bringing in more successful and smarter Boise State head coaches to save him after he starts the season one and three. Um but uh yeah Washington just kicked the shit out of him. Really, really just yeah. kicked the shit out of him. Uh made pretty, pretty much the only silver lining of Boise State is that Ash and Genty looked awesome. Yeah he's great. He's great. I think that, that rushing attack in general should be pretty good. George Halani was also pretty solid for them. Taylor Green had a couple good runs, but Taylor Green looked lost as a passer. Um, they don't have, I don't think, a ton of star power at receiver. Yeah, other and than... the Washington secondary sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That is, yeah, that is also true. <laughs> Washington secondary is not like the best unit in the world. Uh, and Boise State just really didn't get a ton going on offense. Washington got whatever it wanted. Um, this is a game that Boise State used to be competitive in. This is a game that Boise State as a program used to be able to win, and they are not close. They are not close right now. Uh, Washington, meanwhile, I think took care of business and then some. Very, very impressed with them. I think that they did uh, everything you wanted to see from them in this game. Very excited to see what they have moving forward. Yep, definitely. Um, kind of a concerning result week one here. We have Wisconsin beating Buffalo 38-17 at home. Um, not the end of the world, but just the offense looked a little bit slow here coming out. Um, you know, I think the running attack was as advertised. They ran for 314 yards, almost eight yards a clip. And they did put up over 500 yards. So I realize that sounds like a small complaint, but yeah. um, kind of finished drives a little better. I think there's some room here to figure out how, how you finish drive and score a little more. Buffalo's not an awesome team. Um couple interceptions uh just need to just to be a little stronger finishing drives for them um yeah i don't know i, I mean like not the, not the greatest result week one not really what you want to see from wisconsin but not overall super concerned i think the brain attack is still pretty good but just just a little kind of like a little hmm moment yeah for sure there, there was definitely a little bit of a uh i think also the feeling of like the rushing attack is working so well. Why are you throwing the ball 31 times? Why does Tanner Mordecai need to throw the ball 31 times, right? Chesma Lucy had 13 for 157. Braylon Allen had 17 for 141. It was also targeted seven times, which is interesting. At seven receptions uh, for 25 yards. That's a very funny way to use a running back as a receiver. But um, those two combined yeah. for four rushing touchdowns, like just 
just run them. You don't right. Thirty carries is not enough with those two. <laughs> you can you can run it more right. than that. It's fine. Nobody's going to be able to stop them. They looked awesome. Braylon Allen had a fantastic, huge run, thirty-seven yards. Chesma Lucy obviously had the eighty-nine yarder. Um, just run those guys. It's fine. You can just play to that strength. And I, I think that Wisconsin is. I was not I was not terribly discouraged. I think they can learn that still. I think that they can still pick that up and they kind of did as the game was going on, which is which is, you know, better than not doing that. But that is really going to be the biggest thing for this offense is just are you willing to just run the fucking ball? It's fine. You have two really good running backs. Just run the ball. You don't have to throw it that much. Right. They they had a they had a 21 minute stretch in the first half where they did not score on four consecutive possessions uh, and had a 12 to 5 pass run split. Yeah. Um, not gonna. Not that's gonna just work. just a learning lesson for Phil, Phil Longo. Like you have an awesome running, you know, you have an awesome running attack. You're at Wisconsin. You can impose your will. Don't be afraid to do it. Just it's like we said for Ryan Day. Just do what works. Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to make it more complicated than it is, especially against Buffalo. Just do what works. It's fine. I thought the defense looked pretty good. In general, you can see where where Wisconsin's trying to go with this. I think it was it was fine. It was not everything that it could have been. I think they probably could have performed better here, given the final score. But Buffalo was competent, and they took care of business. Uh, pretty much the same thought here about Texas 37, Rice 10. This was, it was close for a tiny bit of the game, but Texas just pulls away. Not an especially encouraging performance from the Texas offense. 22% success rate. Um, <laughs> now, thankfully for them, Rice had a 15% success rate but uh this was this was not the most exciting performance in the world from the texas offense no no it was not uh i mean i think you want to see quinn ewers be a little bit sharper than this um he was fine but like you just want to see it look a little easier right that that xavier worthy like long play was awesome and he, he played pretty well but um not a lot of clear second or third receivers for texas a lot of like they throw the ball around a lot i think they're probably looking to figure out their guys but yeah you just want to see it look a little easier again on finishing drives rice is not a good football team um they they just i don't know maybe they're keeping vanilla because they did excuse me sorry kick field goals uh inside rice territory i think three times um don't, and they, they attempted another one they missed. Like, don't, don't be afraid to just – it's rice, right? Go for it a little bit. Like, work out your offense. Figure out what works on third and fourth down. Be a little more aggressive. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, for sure. I, I would like to see a second or third receiver emerge. I uh, I talked all offseason yeah, they, about how I don't really believe in Adonai Mitchell like everybody else seems to, and he didn't I don't really, really get the height. didn't yeah. really do much here. He had a touchdown, but three receptions for 26 yards. Just, you know, uh, I don't know. Right. I don't. Isaiah Nayer barely played. Jordan yeah. Whittington was like, all right. Like, it, like it seems like it's pretty much just just worthy and everybody else, which is what it has been. I, I don't really. I didn't really see anything yeah. different from what we have seen from them so far. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much on the same page. Uh, keeping it in the state of Texas, we had UTSA losing fourteen seventeen at Houston. Yeah. Um, tough week one result. Frank. We talked about Frank Harris a little bit in his kind of you know, offseason comeback to be, you know, thought he wouldn't be able to play football yeah. to come to this point in the game. It's just nice to see him play again, but he had a really rough day. Uh, it completed half of his passes, three interceptions, less than six yards per attempt, just did not play very well. Um, and, and Houston won because of that. Like they, I mean, uh, UTSA outgained Houston by almost a hundred yards, but just, um, just turned the ball over too often. Again, couldn't finish drives just kind of frustrating here yeah um, it, it was a little frustrating to watch three straight interceptions the second half yeah it was definitely frustrating and it, it it felt a lot like 
watching a guy who hadn't really played all off season, which is not Frank Harris's fault, right? Like that's, I'm glad that he's healthy. I'm glad that he is able to participate, but it looked like they just looked disconnected. He didn't look fully comfortable. He looked like he had been rehabbing all off season. And I would expect that this is probably going to be the worst that you will see from him and from this UTSA team this season. It's just, it's a bummer that this keeps happening to them in week one, that they keep coming out, not really, at full capacity or anywhere near it, and they lose uh, very winnable games. Houston did not look especially good in this game. I think UTSA's defense did a really, really good job against a Houston offense that I just don't trust even a little bit. Um, you know, they they have, I think, Joseph Manjack the fourth looked okay at wide receiver. Samuel Brown made a couple plays. Matthew Golden, I don't know. I'd like to see more from him. I like him, but he didn't do a ton here. Um, and, and UTSA just didn't, take advantage in the way that I think it probably should have and in the way that if you put these two back together in two months, I think it would have, but you can't do that. You got to be ready week week one, and they haven't been for a couple years in a row now, which is really frustrating. I think that they will look back at this as a, uh, you know, as a missed opportunity. It's not necessarily like a red flag. It's not, you know, into the world. I think they will be totally fine, but just come on, man, you got to be ready for this. At some point, it would be really nice to see you pull one of these off and they, they just haven't, they haven't been able to do it yet. And I think that it is, uh, it's definitely holding them back as a, as a program a little bit at this point. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right, Patrick, we have another result here. We're going to stay in the little Texas run here. What the fuck is up with Baylor? Yeah. Texas state 42, Baylor 31. Uh, um, um, I, this is not good. This is not a good result for Baylor. This is not just like a, uh, oh, I, you know, bad, bad upset, but you can understand it. Texas State is under a first year, brand new head coach, has a whole new team, ton of transfers. And this was not close. The Baylor scored late to make this more competitive. It was 42-24. It was not close. Uh, the, the, just a disaster on both sides of the ball from Baylor. They're going to be without Blake Shapen for several weeks. They have lost, it seems like, a couple defensive players already before the season even started. A Johnny Carter transfer from Utah State isn't enrolling. Um, it, it's They look disjointed. They don't look good right now. Yeah. I mean, the frustrating part, too, is that, like, Baylor got what he was looking for. It got a great performance out of Blake Shapen. He played very well. Uh, he accounted for 441 yards and a 73.3% completion rate. Like, Blake Shapen was awesome in this game, and it was just the rest of the roster. I mean, it was just some – first of all, you know, we'll take some accountability here. We've been huge Aranda guys yeah. pretty much since the jump. Um, he twice kicked field goals inside Texas State's 10-yard lines, and then also they had turnovers for final two possessions of the game. Um this team just folded when it counted, right? They just didn't have the goods when it came down to it. Uh, and pretty frustrating to see from someone who was looking to see Baylor kind of get back on track this year. Yeah. Just not what I expected, not what I wanted. Uh, pretty tough. Pretty pretty tough from Baylor. I, I really can't excuse this one. Um, they did outgain Texas State, but the fact that it was even competitive as it was is a problem. Yeah. Let alone actually losing my two scores at home. This game being competitive with a great quarterback performance from your, you know, kind of embattled starter it's just not an acceptable outcome for Dave Randall. Yeah, coming into this game, the the SP plus uh, percentage, the win percentage uh, likelihood for Texas State was, I think, 3%. They had a 3% chance of winning this game. Um, so good for them. Good for TJ Finley, who I, th- I think looked really good within that offense. They did a really good job with him. I like some of the receivers they have there. They ran the ball really well, but... 
you you do have to sort of in a in an upset that significant i think you have to look at the the p5 team you have to look at the upset e rather than the upsetter um yeah baylor just bad it looked really bad really 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 bad I'm, I'm worried about them moving forward i think that that it would be it would be hard not to be we're going to talk about them in more detail on the premium as well um yeah another texas team here another big 12 texas team wyoming 35 texas tech 33 maybe my favorite game of saturday i think probably actually pretty comfortably my favorite game of saturday this was really really fun goes to double overtime um, Wyoming had just, I mean, Wyoming just shut down Texas Tech for most of the game. Texas Tech comes down late and, and is able to tie it and send it to overtime. Um, but uh, really impressive here from from Wyoming and, and for Texas Tech. I think it's it's an upset that makes sense. <laughs> if you watch this team play, if you look at what they're doing, I think that we, we criticized the decision to go with Tyler Shuck this offseason. I feel pretty good about that. Having watched him play here, he did not look very good. Um, but then on Wyoming's side, man, just, just finding a way, just finding a way. They didn't play great. They don't usually play great when they pull off these upsets. I think the offense was fine. The defense was really good for what it was doing, but, um, you know, Andrew Peasley, the quarterback said after the game, and he had a, he had a great, very gutsy performance. He's not very good, but he, he did what he needed to do. Uh, he found a way. I I would call it gutsy, not great. Yeah. yeah, He found, (laughs) he found a way to win the game as the quarterback ran, ran well, took a lot of hits, made a a brilliant, brilliant touchdown pass to, to send this to, uh, to a tie 33, 33 in second overtime, fourth down zero blitz, just under a ton of pressure, finds a receiver, um, and and then, did it uh, again on fourth down and on the and the second overtime to get the win. I mean, were yeah. they? He he was on fourth and seven and found uh, Gillenberg. Right? Is that how you his name? Gillenberg. I was watching this game, but I didn't have a lot of audio on um, the uh, tight end. Yeah, yeah, he found him on fourth and seven as he got smoked for an eleven yard touchdown pass. Um, and then, he's a swagged up white boy. He's Laramie's most wanted. He has the do rag underneath his helmet. Yeah, very very funny player. Yeah, um, kind of talking shit after you. Like complete half of your passes to, to for less than four and a half yards <laughs> attempt. <laughs> oh man, he, he rocks. Um, yeah, and then Sam, I will say Sam Scott oh, converts the two point conversion. The only other thing I wanted to say on Peasley this is that he was he was totally right. He summed it up perfectly in the post game interview of saying Wyoming just wanted to take Texas A and M to the deep end. They thought they would drop, and they did. Um, that's awesome. I love that. I love that for Wyoming. I love that program. I love the environment there. This was uh, it was really good to see them get this. I think that this was this was one of my favorite results of the of the first week. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I mean, I, I I think Tyler Shuck played pretty well in this game. All things considered, I still don't understand why they got rid of Donovan Smith for him. Yeah, I think he just shows you like he's a pretty limited player. Like he, he knew he was. Um, I mean, he accounted for almost 400 yards, respect to that, but I don't know. He didn't really move me very much. Kind of just gave, he took what the defense gave them. Um, Texas Tech's wide receivers are very good. Uh, we've had that at Jaron Bradley before. He's a player I like a lot. I thought he was awesome, but not much of a rushing attack here for them. Got to get that figured out. Um, yeah, tough start for Joe McGuire after a lot of momentum last season. Uh, I think, you know, impressive win by Wyoming. They've done this quite a few times, Laramie. I think they have like four or five power cup upsets in week one, yeah. and Laramie alone. Um, it's it, like since 2000. This is a, a tough place to play. You really should not be going there <laughs> if you're Texas Tech. <laughs> Don't do that. 
but lesson learned and, and good start for Wyoming. Yeah, and also uh, other P5 teams, don't listen to this. Don't don't hear us say this. Don't <laughs> you should go there. It's good. It's good to go there. You'll probably it'll probably be fine. It probably won't happen to you. Um, yeah, I, I always uh, they they do keep doing this, and I always love it when they do. It is always fun. Uh, North Carolina 31, South Carolina 17. Uh, Mac Brown attempting to, to choke out Shane Beamer after this game. <laughs> it's very, oh, it was very good. One of my favorite things that I saw from this game, because otherwise it seems like North Carolina just kind of rolled up on him. Drake May, very good here. Spencer Rattler looked like himself. Uh, took nine. Oh, he played well. Come he, on. I, I've made fun of him a lot, but he, I mean, he, took he not, played well in this he game. He took nine sacks. He was sacked nine 100%. times. 100%. The old line's horrible. The old line's <laughs> replacing, I think, four of its five starters. Yeah. And the other guy who came back was their worst player. Yeah. But I mean, the I'm, kid I'm threw victim, for 353 I, I, yards. I'm yeah. victim blaming. I'm victim blaming Spencer <laughs> Rattler for getting sacked nine times. He should have He should have yeah. just not gotten sacked. Simply don't get sacked. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. It wouldn't happen to me. But how about yeah. Drake May throwing two picks, huh? Yeah. Like, it's a pretty bad defense. Yeah. I'm just... You're hearing it more and more. You're hearing it more um, and more. This was pretty comfortable for North Carolina. I, I thought they took care. Of, they took care of business here. Definitely, I think. Uh, I think South Carolina is going to be pretty shitty. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was also not... Juice Wells didn't play, right? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't. I didn't see him on the on the box score. If he played and wasn't on the box score, that would be, I think, even more troubling than... <laughs> I, I watched about half of this game, by the way. I just had... We talked about before. I had very little interest in this game. Uh, let me, I let me check I think it. this is a 7-5 seven, seven and five team playing a 4-8 and eight team, and I don't have to spend my time on that on a weekend where I was having fun in New Orleans. Yeah, he's, he's not on the stat sheet. I have to think he didn't play. Um, <clears throat> that would be my, yeah. my assumption. I don't, I don't know how that would happen if he played. Uh, but regardless, I think South Carolina probably in for a pretty long... Pretty long year here. It was not good. I think a lot of the concerns we had about this team really come into the forefront here in North Carolina. Really just out-talents them. Uh, Illinois, 30. Toledo, 28. Jason Candle didn't even really do anything this time. It wasn't really his fault. He just can't win close games. He's just, he's cursed. He has, he has some sort of affliction that makes it so that he always has to lose these games late. Illinois comes down, kicks a field goal with like five seconds left to win it. Toledo, uh, I thought played pretty well and handled itself pretty well. Had a really bad pick six that, that really sort of doomed it. But in general, I thought Toledo looked good. It was just Illinois found a way to win because they were playing against Jason Candle, and he he has done something to uh, to cosmically offend. I guess I don't I don't really know how he has how he has brought this upon himself. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, he is cursed by some sort of voodoo spirit. Um, Baron Zemedy is is against uh, is against Jason Candle and his his future. Yeah, uh, he will never prosper. Um, I don't know. Not really a ton of notes this game for me. I guess I thought Luke Altmaier played better than I thought he would. Yeah. Um, he had a beautiful throw on that game-winning drive. Absolutely gorgeous throw. Yeah. He's getting crushed and just puts it right in the right place. He also had some really bad decisions, I think. But Sure. Uh, yeah, he's not he, good. <laughs> he, he, was, he did more that wasn't bad than he did that was bad, I would say. I, I don't think I was – I was not, like, super impressed with Luke Altmaier, but he was better than I thought he would be, and he did enough to win the game. Yeah, I, I think um, – I think Illinois' defensive line didn't quite do what I thought it would. I think that's partially the scheme from Toledo. Yeah. Uh, they were trying to get the ball out quick here, but I expect a little more of an impact from Newton and Randolph in the middle. Um, nonetheless, I don't know. You know, something to build off of for Illinois. It's, you know, Toledo's not a bad football team at all. Um, showing you can win in close games, I think, early on builds confidence, even if it is Toledo. Mm-hmm. I think the next two weeks playing Kansas and Penn State are going to be pretty fucking tough. But uh, after that, you're a little more battle-tested. 
play some good ball clubs and, and see what happens. Yep. All right. Tulane 37, South Alabama 17. Uh, re- I'm going to talk about Tulane on the premium as well. Really, really impressed with them. Really impressed with Michael Pratt, who I thought had an excellent Animal. game. Yeah. He was he was on fire. He did. I mean, I, I have not... Off the top of my head, I've not seen an I've not seen a quarterback do that to South Alabama's defense. He was he was tremendous. He really led the offense. Um, just didn't really make mistakes. <laughs> he was he was he was fantastic. I thought Tulane's offense was incredible. Um, really really impressed with those guys. This was a big time performance. Uh, disappointed with South Alabama, which made some mistakes, and I think could have gotten more out of this than they did. Could have made it closer. Yeah. But also Tulane just beat them. Tulane was just was better was clearly better yeah i mean also we're this was a pretty sloppy football game uh there were six recovered fumbles this game yeah uh, three apiece every fumble the touch the turf the other team recovered uh, uh carter carter bradley also threw two picks for south alabama yeah um just eight, I mean, eight turnovers in a week one game that's even that's extraordinarily sloppy even for a week one game between two g5 teams that is uh, that's a little messy but like you said Tulane played played pretty damn well beat them here uh they uh, Gained them by a lot, uh, posted over 440, 430 yards on offense. Um, pretty impressed with Tulane, especially that passing attack. Uh, I still wonder if they're going to be like a top contender for that G5 New Year's Six Bowl again, just based on some of the roster losses. But very encouraging result in week one to be a pretty damn good South Alabama team like this. Yeah. If Michael, basically, I think the thing, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm going to talk about them in more detail, but if Michael Pratt can play like that, they can do that. I think if Michael Pratt is that guy all season, they could do it. If he's not, it, it could be a little bit tougher, but he was excellent. Yeah. Um, Speaking of being that guy, what a fucking debut for Drew Aller, huh? Yeah. Uh, Penn State 38 over West Virginia 15. Uh, man, he looked good. Yeah, he did look good. I did not catch a ton of this one. Penn State, of course, scoring at the last second to, <laughs> to make it 38-15. Very funny to do that. Don't really know what the point yeah, of that was. they were bitching about but, that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, not a, not a whole lot going on here from West Virginia, but Drew Aller made some – I mean, he made some throws. He made some big-time throws. I think he did what people were hoping he would do. This was this was quite the start from him. Yeah, the throw as he escaped pressure and hit Calgary Lambert-Smith on the sideline was very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he – had troubles with footwork while the move but as a freshman and the spring game and i thought he did a lot to clear that up the guy just obviously has a lot of arm strength he's a big kid uh but i i thought even his process and how he was thrown he was on the move was a little bit better here uh, i was impressed by that growth uh, he finished 21 of 29 for 325 yards and three touchdowns um just a good day from him penn state rushing attack was fine uh, the two starters with average over five yards of carry but against western is pretty porous defense that should have been better in my opinion. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, WU probably played a little closer than I thought they would, uh, considering they're a bad football team, but, uh, Penn state was, I mean, they did well enough. They, like, they closed out in the fourth quarter, 17 point fourth quarter, getting that last second touchdown. Um, probably want to see some growth from Penn state, a little more balanced of an offense, but, uh, cannot complain too much, but a game where you gain almost 500 yards and, and have an awesome debut from your, your quarterback in the future. Yeah, and it's hard for me to be too worried about the Penn State offense when the thing that was lagging behind a little bit is the rushing attack. I'm that's right. not that's not the part I'm worried about with this with this oh, offense. Oh, and so I'll I'll take. Although that. I mean, worth noting with Landon Tangwell out too. Like I am curious to see he was a key. I mean, he's out for his career now. He retired right before the season. Yeah. Um, he is a kid we talked about as one of the key elements of their O line, and losing him permanently is is a huge loss. And I am still curious to see how Penn State rebounds from that and kind of what their future looks like without him yeah 
Yeah, for sure. UCLA 27, Coastal Carolina 13 in the nightcap. Uh, UCLA pulls away here in the second half. There were a couple moments with Coastal Carolina where things look, looked okay, but Grayson McCall had two interceptions, which is as many as he had the entirety of last season. They couldn't yeah. really keep him upright a ton. He th- he threw the ball a lot. They didn't really run the ball with a whole lot of success. Um, and uh, and UCLA really takes care of business here. The, <clears throat> the big storyline, of course, for UCLA is probably the quarterback battle, which I think probably should be over right having watched these guys play Dante (laughs) yeah Dante Moore is a freshman and he makes some freshman mistakes he had a really bad interception at one point where it looked like he was just trying to throw the ball away and lobbed it up sidearm into the back of the end zone and Coastal Carolina gets a pick but Ethan Garbers is um not any he's not any smarter and also he can't throw the ball very well and so I think that Dante Moore you're gonna have to just take the lumps with Dante Moore because when he when he hits he had a he had one really really beautiful touchdown pass in this game down the it was like a 60 yard touchdown pass um when he hits he is he's really good you can see it you can see the talent with him i think you got to roll with him and just take the punches at this point yeah also j michael sturdivan is out advertised right like yeah. that, that guy coming in from cal uh, Ooh, five boy. receptions 136 yards and a touchdown including that 62 yard dart from dante moore i mean that throw was electric right mm-hmm. that's just the kind of thing he perfect. does that no one else yeah no one else on the roster can do that. Um, really, really impressive player. Like you said, I think you're going to let him play it out. One of the storylines for UCLA I was kind of intrigued by is that uh, TJ Harden uh, nearly outcarried Carson Steele, uh, the running back room. He was really good for them as a freshman last year. I think had uh, 320 some rushing yards and over seven yards of carry as a true freshman in 2022. Uh, and then he looked pretty good last night, uh, or sorry, Saturday night. Um, I was really impressed by him. And I, the, if that's a, now a two-headed running back room that has two legitimate options, both of them being bigger guys. Um, I'm a little more intrigued by UCLA's offensive upside as more figures it out. Running tack looks pretty good. Start advance kind of a top-end receiver. Um, I don't know. I, I was kind of dogging UCLA's roster, and, and obviously I think Coastal is maybe not as good as a reputation based on Tim Beck being the head coach yeah. uh, and some of the losses to transfer. They had to Liberty, but um, – yeah, I, I don't know. I was pretty impressed by UCLA's upside on offense, even if the execution wasn't all there yet. Yeah, and something I really like as well with the the Harden steel backfield is you, you get to see, you know, Harden is not, I don't think, much of a receiver. Maybe he can catch the ball every now and then, but when you have them both, you can you can use Steele more as a as a pass catcher. They threw to him four times for twenty yards and a touchdown. I like that. I like that you can have yeah, you know, Chip Kelly is is as good as anybody with the two half back sets. I think that they have a really good pairing there if Harden is going to be that guy throughout the season. I, I, I like that a lot for them. I think that that raises the ceiling for the offense a little bit, as does having yeah. more in there. I think more obviously needs to be the guy, and I would guess he he will be. Yeah, We saw quite a few teams have success that in week one. That's just turning back sets with kind of diversified skill sets. I know Ohio State did pretty well with that. Yeah. Uh, UNLV did as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, definitely said that a little bit more week one. I think we're used to. I wonder if it's a bit of an offensive shift coming here in college football this season. Is, you know, kind of going back to using a true running back as a fullback and kind of having some diversity in the backfield of what you can do. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see that kind of emerge more. Like you said, Chips was doing it very well for a long time, but um, I want to see some more of this season, a little more 21 personnel, a little 20 personnel. Uh, what do you think that looks like? So, yeah, yeah pretty cool. That's a diversity in the run game. Um, a Sunday, Sunday games, rather. Uh-huh. Uh, opened up with Rutgers winning 24-7 at home over Northwestern. Um, oh boy. Man. Northwestern is not going to win a game this season. I really don't think they're going to win. A, I don't think they're going to win a football game. They are not. 
this is not an FBS roster. I know that Howard's on the schedule. I know that UTEP's on the schedule. Northwestern looks both completely devoid of talent and also uninterested in being there. It, it was it was bad. It was really 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 bad. They are not they are not close to competent right now. No, I mean twelve rushing yards, right? Yeah, um, most that were, day. yeah most of which they gained on like the last drive of the game. <laughs> right. I don't think they got past. Other than their touchdown, I don't think they got past Rutgers' forty-yard line, right? Mm-hmm. Like on that last drive of the game. <clears throat> Unless I'm missing something, I don't think they played past the Rutgers' forty, Jesus. which is like Rutgers has a has a good defense, but it's you're not in, like that. Yeah, you're I mean, in the you're in the same conference. It shouldn't <laughs> it shouldn't. It's not like you're a, it's not like you're an FCS team that's playing against Rutgers. You should be able to move the ball a little bit. Um, does not score. Northwestern does not score until the last seconds of this game, which I, I think is. I mean, I get it. You want to make the score look a little bit better, but this was a shutout until the very end. Rutgers was very clearly better. I don't even really have all that thoughts, all that many thoughts on Rutgers because I don't think that you can judge a team off of playing Northwestern. That's where Northwestern no. is this season. I don't think that you can use them as a as a barometer at all. Yeah. They are they yeah. are a disaster. It is a nightmare program right now. So, so I, I just double checked, and until the last drive of the game, which you know started with two minutes forty five seconds left, when Rutgers conceded a touchdown. Uh, Northwestern had one positive play in Rutgers territory all day. Jesus. Um, just, yeah. I mean, nothing going really, really bad. Going to be a long year, I think. Going to be a very, gonna be a long, very few long years. Season. Yeah, going to be yeah. a long few years. Yeah. Uh, Oregon State also on Sunday. Oregon State 42, San Jose State 17. Impressive from, from Oregon State. Really dominant on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, success rate 61% on offense is nuts. Uh, I thought DJ Uyunglele yeah. looked fantastic behind that line. I thought he played within the structure extremely well, 20 of 25 for 239 and three touchdowns. Only took the one sack. They ran their shit the out. Of, yeah, they ran their shit out of the football. Yeah, yeah he, he had five carries for 17 and two touchdowns. Damian Martinez ran really well. Um, they just looked good. They looked really, really good. They shut down this San Jose State offense pretty nicely. Um, I think San Jose State scored late to make this a little bit closer, but Oregon State, no trouble here on the road, really took care of business. Yeah, 473 yards on offense. Um, didn't really skip a beat. Like, his success rate was fantastic. Uh, Jim Mickelzik is just, he's, he's one dog. of those guys, man. Like He is one of those guys that just, it's crazy. No one took him away from Oregon State yet. Uh, credit to them for keeping him, and I'm happy he's doing so well there, but I just can't believe no one's hired that guy away. Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, it's to it's to Oregon State's benefit. I think that 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 offense with that line and and DJ back there could be really good this season. I'm I'm going to keep an eye on them. Last one here that we're going to talk about because we are recording before Duke and Clemson play. Uh, I'll also be posting this before that game. So if you want to watch that game with us, go to playback. We've tweeted out the link. It's also on the message board. Uh, go to playback. You can watch that one along with Ryan and I and some friends. Um, last one here, Florida State. 45 LSU 24 the marquee game um this was this was a great time I watched every snap of this super competitive heading into the half I think it was 17 14 LSU LSU had been better in the first 30 minutes the defensive line was getting through Makai Wingo was dominant uh was getting getting penetration on basically every play uh, I thought LSU generally had looked good, and Florida State had mostly relied on big plays. And then they come out in the second half, and Florida State just dominates. I mean, really, just ma- they made them quit. Really made them quit. They were violent. They were physical. They were. Uh, 
I, I, man, I, I don't know if I have a word even to express how impressed I was with Florida State and the way they responded in the second half. They came into the game hitting hard. It seemed like they really wanted to set a tone early, and they did. They, they made a very, very, very talented, clearly talented LSU team. Uh, they made them tap. They made them quit. They they beat yeah. the fucking brakes off of them in the second half. It was crazy it, impressive. A team that's by the way built on its fronts. Like, yeah. that's a team built on trench play that was doing Those well. Usually, they were doing well in the yeah. first half, and then they just stopped. Florida State just ended the game. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, LSU averaged four point four yards per play in the second half. Prior to that last second touchdown to uh, Brian Thomas, which I, I kind of disregard. Yeah, um, it was against the backups. Who they first. that would have. Right. And that would have ranked 128th nationally the course of the full season last year. Um, the Florida <laughs> oh State God. defense just was flying around out there. Uh, obviously, the hit on Jaden Daniels when he kind of leapt over the middle yeah. got a lot of the highlights. But, man, just so impressed with these guys top to bottom. The secondary has some work to do because I think those I mean, LSU receivers dropped three or four key passes that made this game a little different. Yeah. But we knew LSU's receivers would be – kind of rough going in. I thought Brian Thomas was a, was a strong point for LSU with the receiver rotation. Um, he played well, but these guys got to be more consistent and catch the football, neighbors included. He, he kind of was not very impressive uh, on, on Sunday night. Yeah. However, Keon Coleman was the star of this Ooh. game, right? Yeah. Uh, man, that kid balled out. Just was super, super impressive. I, I mean, I knew we knew he was good. I think I had him as a top 10 receiver nationally coming into the season. Yeah. But nine catches for 122 yards and three touchdowns and just played big boy football. Um, just really, really kind of physically imposed himself on those LSU second defensive backs. Um, they were banged up. Uh, they are very inexperienced. A lot of, you know, first time starters for LSU, uh, which you can't really have. But Man, I mean, Keon Coleman could not have been more impressive. The whole Florida State team, like, we have the defense flying around up there. There's some early penalties. I think you pointed this out on Twitter, but probably a little bit intentional, I right? Think, I think I, Mike Norvell. with the way yeah. the rest of the game went, entirely intentional. I think absolutely they came into the game saying, we're gonna, we're fine if you take some penalties in the first quarter. You need to, you need to be hitting. You need to let them know that you're here. Um, that would not surprised me one bit i think that is entirely what they were doing and it it worked it, it absolutely worked lsu was not playing comfortably lsu was not playing comfortably in the second half they florida state made sure that lsu knew it was there did not let lsu play its game did not let lsu stop no. thinking about the hits that were going to come i think contributed to the drops as well um yep. just this was this was vintage florida state this was absolutely this is 90s florida state coming in and, and saying we're going to take some penalties we're going to take some 15 yard penalties because we think we can make up for it later if you are scared if you're playing scared and that's exactly what happened. and they were yeah 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 they I, set the tone on them like they really set the tone on these guys it was very very impressive um and it wasn't like florida state played perfect either like jordan travis had a few very stupid throws on the, in the first half especially but they locked in the second half um the florida state defense imposed their will but even the florida state offense those last few drives in the second oh, half kind of be i mean they, I mean, they <laughs> scored on their first five drives but jordan travis put his shoulder on guys. Trey Benson put his shoulder on guys. Even Keon Coleman turned that touchdown and then pushed the defensive back to the ground. Yeah. Like they did not respect the LSU defense at all. Um, they bullied them. I think even Harold Perkins, who we talk about, in the, we're going to talk about him a lot in the premium episode and the way LSU used him because it was very stupid. Mm -hmm. um, he got caught on a polling. He was spying Jordan Travis and got caught looking and just got fucking wrecked yeah. uh, as well. I mean, that <laughs> Florida State team, 
was so physical, so physical. Like, I, I mean, you do not see a lot of football teams play football, play ball like that. That is a Georgia performance from Florida state. Yeah. Um, I always talk more about that with the premium show. So I'm going to save some analysis there, but that starting 22 is, is probably better than anyone in the country right now. Yeah. We'll see how it plays out throughout the year, but man, what an impressive game for them. Yeah. I'll, I'll just close out here by, by reading directly from the play-by-play just because I think it, it, it gets the idea across. You go into the fourth quarter, Florida state's up 24, 17. Jaden Daniels throws the interception to Bernardo green. Um, and you get on the, on the ensuing drives, you look at the Florida state plays, you get 14 yard run, four yard run, uh, two yard loss, 13 yard run. You get, and that's uh, where Travis lowered the shoulder. Yeah. 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 Where Jordan Travis lowers the the shoulder, you get six yard completion, 13 yards, you get, you know, two and then seven yard touchdown. And so Ophelia lowered the shoulder and they're inside the 10. Yeah. Then, then, you know, LSU comes out, goes three and out, doesn't even, doesn't gain yards, loses four yards total on, on the drive. Florida state comes out 13 yard rush you get 44 yard touchdown pass to Jaheim Bell it's just they were just fucking dominant they were dominant on both sides of the ball that last drive uh it's the same thing six yards 17 one three eight four just running down the field running over them finishing drive finishing runs finishing drives every single Florida State play it felt like in the second half was finishing moving forward it was positive momentum at the end of the play LSU several players on the ground at the end of every play this was uh, it, it warms your heart it's real football right this is this is going out there and this is just kicking their ass it was i think i think Florida State's play calling was great i think Alex Atkins did a great job but also just they just out physical them, man. Football can be pretty simple. It doesn't have to be that hard sometimes if you just make them quit, if you just beat their ass. And Florida State had the ability to do that physically and, and did it. Really, really, really impressive the way that they just, I mean, just imposed their will on a uh, on an LSU team that I still think is really good. Just Florida State was that much better. They were they were easily the best team that I saw this this week. Yeah. And it's worth noting, too, like that even that first Florida State drive in the second half, they settled for a field goal on fourth and three at the LSU 15. I mean, they could have run this up more. This could have yeah. been worse. Yeah. I think pretty easy to say. Like they, they don't give up that last second touchdown to Brian Thomas. They score on that first drive. They didn't go for it in fourth down. Um, this could look a lot uglier than it was. Yep, for sure. All right, that'll do it for us here from this first recap. Um, we will uh, we'll, we'll probably throw in a little bit about Duke Clemson on the watch list, which is coming Thursday. Uh, yeah. And if you are interested in the premium, we're going to talk more uh, at, at more length about Stanford, Colorado, Tennessee, Tulane, Oregon State, Florida State, Boston College, Boise State, Baylor, Texas Tech, Coastal Carolina, and LSU. If you're interested in any of that, meet at midfield.com. Join us on the premium show. We will see you guys there.